Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Anselm of Canterbury's treatise on freedom of choice, one of the central preoccupations is determining and indeed defining this concept of freedom of choice. And it's important to note right from the start that Anselm is not making assumptions that many other people might, that freedom is something like the ability to select between alternatives or to do whatever it is that you want to do or to be able to put into practice what it is that you've decided. Those do fit within a certain scope of what he calls ability or power, potestas, but it's not the same thing as freedom, libertas, that he's attempting to define here. And his student begins by asking about this, you know, libertas arbitrary, freedom of choice, and is trying to find a definition and suggests that maybe, you know, it's uh, going to be or going to involve the ability to sin or not to sin. That is to have two choices before one. Um, and he brings this up within a theological context, saying free choice seems to be opposed to grace, predestination, and foreknowledge of God. I want to know what freedom of choice is and whether we always have it. If freedom of choice, the student says, consists in being able to sin and not to sin, as some persons are accustomed to say in Anselm's own time and in our own, then, you know, what's the story here, Anselm? And Anselm, as the teacher says, well, it's, it's not that. And the student says, well, hold on a second. Why wouldn't it be, or at least involve, the freedom to do one of two things? And so Anselm brings up a very important consideration that, that fits into his way of, of approaching these things. He says that, to begin with, if it was the ability to sin or not to sin, then we'd have to say that God and the good angels, they don't actually have freedom. So that's a bit of a problem. But let's go a little bit deeper. Let's think about what it, what the ability to sin would actually mean. Sinning is doing something wrong, doing something, uh, whether we conceive of it as like breaking God's law, or we conceive of it in an older sense as, you know, committing some sort of offense, doing something unjust, harmful, something damaging. He says that if we think about what goes on with this, he says, which will seems to be the more free to you? The will which so wills and is so able not to sin that it cannot be turned away from the uprightness of not sinning or the will which in some way is able to be turned to sinning. And the student says, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me like you know, having both possibilities is really being more free. And then Anselm brings in the clincher for his viewpoint here. He says, when you sin, you're doing something that is unfitting, quote, dedecat in Latin, and disadvantageous, non expedit, something that's not good for you, something that is not befitting, something that is unbecoming, you could say, that doesn't match what it is that, that you really do want and intend. He contrasts to that freedom, and he says freedom is actually the ability to keep, to maintain, to preserve what is befitting, quodecat, what is advantageous, quod expedit, 
what is indeed good for you as a being. So this is how he treats it in chapter one. A little bit later on in chapter three, he's going to talk about the purpose of freedom of choice. And he he asks, why did they have freedom of choice? He says, what end do you think they had that freedom of choice? Now the word end is not actually in there. It's framed in, in a different way in the Latin. So he says, was it in order to obtain what they willed or was it in order to will what they ought to will and what was advantageous for them to will? So we've got two different conceptions here. Is freedom being given so that they can will whatever the hell it is that they want to will and and be able to do it? Or is it being given so that they could will what is good for them and what they ought to will and what is advantageous? This is a key dividing point. If you follow Anselm along here, he's going to say that, you know, we we can connect all these things together. Freedom of choice is for willing what is befitting and advantageous. So that's going back to that, that chapter one thing. And what is that? Anselm calls that rectitude of will, rectitudo voluntatis. You could also translate it as rightness of will, uprightness of will, whatever it is that you want. And it's good to keep in mind that in the work just before this, Anselm defines justice in terms of the moral quality that we can have and then our actions can have as rectitude of will maintained for its own sake, which is going to come up a little bit later. So this rectitude of will is doing the right thing, choosing the right thing, choosing rightly. And he adds there that we have to understand it as being maintained for its own sake, not simply being maintained for the sake of avoiding punishment or gaining reward or you know any other sort of inducement or reason. There has to be a recognition that what is good and what is just is good and just in its own right and therefore should be maintained for its own sake. Now, this thing that's being maintained is in our will within us. So you could think of rightness of will as a reflexive use of the will that maintains that very rightness within it by choice, by free choice. Later on in chapters four and 12, he's going to say something that that fleshes this out about freedom of choice. What if this rectitude of will gets lost? through one way or another. Somebody abandons it in favor of something else, like say creature comforts, right? Or the ability to uh, impose revenge on somebody else. So once that's lost, Anselm says that it, it can't be gotten back just by the person willing it back. And at the same time, freedom of choice, libertas arbitri, is still possible for the person even when they're lacking that rectitude. Why? Because they still have two important faculties that set us apart from the other animal creatures. One of these is the faculty of of reason and the other is the faculty of will. So ratio and voluntas. He says that there's nothing that prevents us from having this uprightness itself if it can be given back to us. There's nothing that prevents us having the ability to keep uprightness of will for the sake of this uprightness. As long as we have reason by which to recognize it, 
and will by which to hold it fast. A little bit later in chapter 12, he amplifies and tells us that even when uprightness of will is lacking to us, we have in us the ability to understand and to will by which ability we are able to keep uprightness for its own sake when we have it. And better put, when we get it back, when we're able to have it bestowed upon us. In chapter 13, which is almost the last chapter of the work, he will give us a definition, or he'll, he'll maintain that uprightness of will maintained for its own sake, or the ability to keep uprightness of will for its own sake, rather, the potestas, to keep this, is in fact the complete definition of freedom of choice. So he'll go through a number of different discussions about this and say that, The ability is the genus of freedom. So freedom, libertas, fits under potestas. And then he says the addition of to keep distinguishes this from every ability, which is not an ability to keep, like the ability to laugh or the ability to walk. We're zeroing in on it further. Then keeping uprightness is a distinctive object. We're not keeping gold or whatever is not uprightness. And then of will separates this ability from the ability to keep uprightness of other things like that of uh, an opinion or language. And then finally, for the sake of uprightness itself, he says this ability is distinguished from an ability to keep uprightness of will because of something else. For example, keeping it for the sake of money or because of natural inclination. So what we have here then finally is a complete definition of what Anselm takes freedom of choice to consist in. It's not the same thing at all as simply being able to do what it is that you want or being able to select one of two options. In fact, to really have freedom of choice would mean to reject one of the options if one of the options is something that is unfitting and disadvantageous. Notice that it does still leave a certain flexibility and range of options within the realm of what is befitting and what is advantageous. So this is Anselm's conception of freedom of choice. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.